Welcome to Mike Side. I'm your host, Larry Doughty. Mike Side is a podcast where I get a chance to share time with familiar names and faces, giving you an opportunity to get to know them better. These are folks who've shaped our world and made it a better place in one way or another. You've heard the Okies name for so many years. Well, Okies is a locally owned, family-run funeral service since 1866. But there's something about the Oki name you may not know. Sammy Oki could be the sixth Beatle. Sammy, welcome to Mike's side. When did you become such a follower of the Fab Four? Of course, I remembered growing up with the Beatles. I was born in 1960, and I remember the initial phase of Beatlemania and even when they broke up. But I was never a fan until 1977, and they put out an album called The Beatles at the Hollywood Bowl. Of course, they'd been broken up for seven years, but this was their first real live album. And I remember WRVAM played this, and I thought, wow, they're really good. They're great. And about that same time, WDBJ-TV, they were doing a show called The Early Show or something, It was, a, and they showed the Help movie on a in on the afternoon one afternoon and I thought man this is great and I just really immersed myself in their music and loved it and started getting their of course getting their greatest hits next and then getting uh, going into the, the solo careers and wings and it's been a fantastic 43 years ever since then. Sammy, I was doing some research, and I found that I Want to Hold Your Hand was not the first Beatles record to be released here in the United States. This was their uh, breakthrough hit, but earlier releases of Please Please Me, From Me to You, and She Loves You on uh, smaller independent labels were released first with little or no fanfare. Can you believe that? They had several weird-sounding labels that really didn't have the same oomph that Capital had. You know, Capital had that money and that publicity that they could really put behind the Beatles. And of course, it was right after JFK died and the country was yearning for something to take their mind off of that. But yeah, those small labels, I think one of them was called VJ and uh, there were two or three others, Tolly maybe, and a, a couple of others, Swan. Uh, and I don't have any albums or records on those, but it's fascinating to think that those record companies had the rights to the Beatles and could make a go of it. But then Capital came along at the right time. And of course, that was about the time the Beatles put I Want to Hold Your Hand Out and everything took off after that. If you could name two or three Beatles standouts, what would they be? They change. My my favorite Beatles songs change. I think probably my favorite ones right now are I'll Get You, which is a very early one. Uh, I love, there's a song on the Let It Be album uh, called I've Got a Feeling, which is a great rocker. I like um, Gotta Get You Into My Life. My favorite Beatles song by John Lennon is It's Only Love. Most people would say Strawberry Fields Forever. Uh, I love It's Only Love. And that, remarkably, is a song that John hated. He has said it in print that he hated that song so much, and I think, I love that song. So I think my favorite period is like the mid, mid, like 65, 66. I love um, anything on the Help album. Uh, I remember hearing that Fred Freelance's favorite Beatles song was Things We Said Today. And once Jack Fisher announced that, I thought, I'm going to have to get into that. And that's one of my favorites now, too. Do you think during the Beatle era when John came out with the whole Paul is dead thing, 
they were just having fun and messing with their fans? It wasn't actually John that did it. It was a DJ from Detroit that started that whole thing off. Yeah, and I still am not sure. I don't. I think there were a lot of coincidences, but it certainly boosted their sales at that time. You know, when all this was going on. But I really don't think it was a planned uh, program that they did. All these sounds that were on albums or record covers that had clues. It's it's really interesting to go and look at all those things. But I still don't believe that they did that on purpose. Do you think the Beatles became too big, too quick to survive as the Fab Four? I don't think so. And I think that they would have been around a lot longer if it hadn't been for the fact that their manager, Brian Epstein, died uh, in 1967. And after that, they were kind of just uh, kind of didn't have a lot of direction. Paul tried to keep them together, and he did for another couple of years. But I think it was partly because of Brian Epstein dying and uh, and then they wanted to live their own lives. People blame Yoko, but I don't think that there's any one reason. I think I've heard that there's four Americans you can blame: Yoko, Linda McCartney, uh, Phil Spector, who took the Let It Be album and put his wall of sound on it and really irked Paul McCartney, and then of course uh, Alan Klein, who eventually became their manager, much to Paul McCartney's chagrin. But those four Americans, once they got involved, things really began disintegrating very quickly. Sammy, I read that you and fellow Beatles fan Fred Lark went to England not for a concert, nor were you there to see Buckingham Palace and Big Ben. The two of you set out to retrace the steps of the Fab Four in their early days in London and Liverpool. Yeah, it was. Um, I originally had gone in 1982. And uh, that was with a group from Ferrum College when we graduated Ferrum. And uh, that was great. And I did get to sneak away from the group and go to Abbey Road. And nearby is Paul McCartney's house. And, yes, I did go through his trash to, and kept some of it just to make sure I was at the right house. Bribed the caretaker to go into the backyard and look. But then, yeah, my buddy and Fred and I did go in 1994. And we made that all about the Beals. I mean, we went to places in Liverpool and London. I mean, I'm probably the only person that was walking around Liverpool trying to figure out the hospital that Ringo had his tonsils taken out in. So it was a blast. We saw some great places. And of course, every year there are more and more places that are either bulldozed or integral parts of the Beatles story where people die that were uh, parts of their story. So I am so glad I got to go so many times in the 80s and 90s. And I haven't been in about 10 years. But that's still, yeah, I have been to Buckingham Palace, but I just love going to where Apple Records was or Abbey Road or Paul's home and going to Liverpool. That is just a blast. So many things are close together that you could almost walk part of it and see, uh, you know, Penny Lane and John's home. It's just a, it's, it's after reading about these things and even seeing videos, when I actually saw them for the first time, I thought, wow, this is just almost more than I could handle. Can you imagine being in the neighborhood when the Beatles were up on the rooftop performing? That's one of my favorite film pieces of them up there on Savile Row up on the rooftop. And yeah, even though you couldn't see them and people were wondering what's going on, uh, I think fans would know, hey, that's the Beatles, you know. And I've gone to Savile Row many times and just stared up there at that rooftop and just wondered about it. And when they had the 50th anniversary of it last year, 
Uh, I played all of the songs that they did on the rooftop and watched the old grainy videos. And yeah, it's, that's just a magical moment because they hadn't played live in front of anybody in like three years, two and a half years, three years. And all of a sudden, they come out, and they almost didn't do it. They had some real reluctance to step out onto that rooftop. But when they did, they just meshed right back into their parts and sounded great. Sammy, does England have the appreciation of the Beatles as the U.S. does? I think that there's more of a fan base in America as far as everybody getting more hyped up about him. But there's a lot of serious fans in England. But I believe, I don't want to use the word that they've become jaded of being their home place, but I believe that the fans in England maybe are not, maybe take them for granted a little bit that they're from England. And fans in America, there's still such a buzz. I mean, there's Beatle conventions you know, Ringo concerts, Paul concerts, and people, there's just an electricity anytime you get a bunch of Beatles fans together around here. As a Beatles fan, are you sad we never really got them into this area, even though we did get Ringo Starr, but we couldn't even get them to Charlottesville? Yeah, they. I think the closest they came was D.C. back in 64. Uh I, it's it is a little bit sad because people tell me, oh, I was at Victory Stadium when Herman's Hermits came, and I thought, you know what? I'm sure that was a great concert, but wouldn't you have loved to have been at Shea Stadium to have seen the Beatles, you know, back in '65, '66? So yeah, it's too bad they didn't get any closer. But I'm used to that because I've been going to see Paul and Ringo ever since 1989. And you just don't get that many concerts around here. You better be prepared to travel if you want to see a Beatle. Lennon, Harrison, and Starr had a pretty good run as solo acts. Why do you think McCartney didn't go that route? Yeah, he did do that first solo album called McCartney. And then he and Linda did an album, which was very good, called Ram. But he, even near the end of the Beatles, he had wanted to kind of get back to their origins and and start playing some small dates and show up at clubs. And I think he still had that desire. So when he formed Wings, I think that was his way of fulfilling that desire to just get in a bus and go out. And that's how they started. They would just show up at a university and say, hey, you know, we're available. Do you want us to play? And uh, of course, that was a great way of starting out because by the time they were doing world tours in 75 and 76, they had really, even though there were a couple of lineup changes, they had really gelled as a band. And I love Wings. I'm a huge Wings fan. Sammy, had the Beatles gotten together for a reunion album, would the fans have liked it or would it have sounded more like uh, four solo projects? I think it would have sounded more like four solo projects. And I'm sure the fans would have liked it. But I'm also sure that there are people who are doubters that would have said, oh, they're not as good as they used to be. What do they get together for? Uh, When they did kind of get together in 1995 uh, and they released the Free as a Bird and Real Love singles, um, I thought Free as a Bird was a fantastic. I think that's one of my 10 favorite Beatles songs, and I think that could have easily fit onto the White Album. But you had people who were just looking for a reason to knock a an incredible band like the Beatles by saying, well, that's, you know, that sounds like they're scraping the bottom of the barrel or they should never have done that. But I was so excited when the three of them got together and used a John Lennon demo and recorded that. That was just that. I guess that was like my 1964. (laughs) I was 31 years late. When McCartney comes out with a new album, does it make you wonder, has he run out of lyrics? Oh, 
Never. Now, some of his stuff makes me, I have to have repeated listening. Sometimes his songs, I am not crazy about the first time, but his last album called Egypt Station, which was about maybe one or two years ago, fantastic album, incredible. The one before that called New, great album. And it's not fair to compare him to either the Beatles albums or albums from the 70s, but his lyrics are still awesome. Uh, I just heard a song this morning called My Valentine, which was about maybe seven or eight years ago. And I would put that right up there with My Love or Maybe I'm Amazed. It's just an incredible album, great lyrics, and it makes me feel good that he is still able to be productive like that. Have you met Ringo or Paul? Met Ringo in 1998. He came to New York City and was signing albums um, of his two most recent releases. So my buddy Fred and I drove to D.C., took a train from D.C. to New York City. I'd never been to New York City before, so you got these two guys from southwest Virginia emerging from the train station about midnight and finding our way to Lincoln it was Tower Records at uh, Lincoln Center or something. Anyway, so we got there about one in the morning and camped out from one in the morning until seven the next night with sleeping bags and everything. And I was hoping it would be kind of like a little fireside chat. I'd get to go in and tell Ringo all about how much it was like, move him in and move him out, you know. But I did get to tell him how much he meant to me, get a picture with him, get a couple of autographs. Uh, that was fantastic. And, and then while we were up there... Uh, uh, Mike Bell from Channel 7 arranged for us to go to see Regis and Kathy the next day because Ringo was going to be on the show, and that was fantastic. So that was the only time I've gotten to meet – well, actually, I met Ringo again uh, in a shopping mall up in D.C. when he was playing in Vienna at Wolf Trap, and uh, I guess we could kind of stalk him a little bit. But, you know, he was nice, and he gave us autographs and things, and uh, the only significant eye contact I've had with Paul, I wore a Liverpool Football Club shirt – to a Paul McCartney concert in Raleigh uh, at um, uh, what is now where the Carolina Hurricanes play, and I was on about the second row, and he was getting he was getting ready to do Michelle, and he was talking about how he wrote Michelle, and he looked right at me and he said Liverpool Football Club, <laughs> and I thought oh my gosh he's talking about me, so I know I sound like a little girl, but it was extremely exciting. And, uh, you know, I, I wished I'd gone to see George. He did a tour of Japan back in 1990 or 91. And Fred and I talked about going over there. And I said, Fred, let's not do it. He's, you know he's going to end up coming to America, which he never did. So I should have gone to those shows over there. Any final words regarding the Beatles? And looking back, would you do it all over again, Sammy? Oh, yes. I'd have done it earlier if I could have. Because I missed out on a lot of the excitement of Beatlemania uh, the, the solo careers. By the time I picked up the ball in 1977 and started going with it, uh, they were they the, some of their material. Of course, John had gone into retirement. Uh, George was not as productive as he used to be. Ringo put out some albums that were maybe not as good as they were before. So I would love to have gotten to him into him before, but uh, yeah, I would definitely do it again. It's. It's still such a big part of my life. I just love listening to their music, listening to them when I'm walking the dog on the Greenway, Beatles Station here at the funeral home when I'm working, uh, Beatles Station or Beatles Channel in the car. So, yeah, uh, people say, don't you ever get tired of it? But I don't. I never, ever get tired of them. I love the Beatles.
So all you need is love and a love for the Fab Four, like Sammy Oki. Sammy, thanks for being on Mike's Side, and thanks for joining us for this edition of Mike's Side. This podcast is available on anchor.fm slash Larry Dowdy Mike's Side, Apple Podcasts, iTunes Desktop, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker, and Radio Public. Be sure to subscribe and leave us a review if you like us. I hope you'll join me and my guests next time for Larry Dowdy Mike's Side. See you then.